and welcome to We're Totally Not Okay, But That's Okay, a podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. I'm Tony Bevan. You almost forgot that one, didn't you? Yeah, I forgot yeah. my name. It's okay. Sometimes we forget. It's one of those days. Sometimes our brains get a little convoluted. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what's going on up there. It's just chaotic happenings, chemicals. Crazy chemicals out firing. there. But speaking of crazy neuron chemical things about the brain, we had an amazing chance to talk to a gentleman, Bruno Maruzzo. He is the CEO of Digital Medical Experts. That was a great segue, and it was a great conversation with him. Mm-hmm. He's such an interesting person, and what he's doing right now is so fascinating. It's taking advantage of this space that we need to fill between digital technology and mental health. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait until we get into the conversation to let him explain more thoroughly what his technology is doing. But in a nutshell, essentially, his company is developing technology that helps physicians diagnose and suggest different treatments for certain mental health conditions, i.e. depression, bipolar, and schizophrenia. Some of the treatments that the technology offers as suggestions, um, ultimately it's the physician's choice, what they end up going with, with their, and obviously the... Yeah, the, the, the person. The person, the client, the... <laughs> the human being. The human that being who's going to have to undergo yeah. these treatments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they decide ultimately, but some of the treatments that are suggested by the technology, the technology itself recommends these, they're both drug and non-drug based. Like transcranial magnetic stimulation and electroconvulsive therapy, i.e. shock therapy, or some other psychotherapies like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. What sat with me the most after this conversation was the idea of being able to change the conversation about mental health yeah. by using something that is measurable, a diagnostic that offers numbers and images, a mapping of the brain that is very different from having a psychologist say, you know, from my experience and my studies and my time that I have spent with you, this is what my assessment is. Yeah, he's, they've pretty much erased human error. There's, well, obviously with humans being the ones who are utilizing these numbers and making the the decipherings, um, there's, I think you'll never really be able to get rid of that human factor, the human error factor. Mm. But yeah, there's it makes the, it such one a step closer. Huge leaps and bounds. And it's interesting to also consider the fact that human beings are more likely to trust these numbers, numbers, technology that is mapping. Yeah. Um, because they're measurable, because it's something that historically we haven't really been able to see what it looks like to be depressed or to be bipolar or to have schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and to be able to obviously the human eye can't take a look at these maps and decipher as as bruno points out in the conversation with the naked eye you can't look at the squiggles on the piece of paper the mappings of these chemical reactions in your brain or the neurons firing that are being printed out Mm -hmm. or shown on the screen but but the fact that we can map them the fact that we can take a look at them and then have technology decipher what that means through its algorithms it changes our conversation about it it's it's nice to it's exciting (laughs) i think it's really cool yeah, I want to do it. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to know what my know, brain looks like. What does my brain look like? <laughs> I think also a really cool thing, though, with the whole, like, brain waves is, I mean, you can't see what depression looks like, but he mentions that you can actually see the difference between a man and woman's brain waves, which I think is quite fascinating as well. Yeah. I wonder, our women's is probably like, because we're always thinking so much. But, but like, higher pitch? Because we're always doing men don't think. It's just a flat line. Totally. But, no, that's how I um, I yeah, it's exciting. I think this is the well, next step in mental health technology. Yeah, yeah, it's filling that space that is is absolutely necessary for. I mean, he it's filling that space that he talks about with doctors, physicians needing needing to bridge that gap 
into the digital technology world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be able to take advantage of the technology that we have created for ourselves and apply it to a, a very young sector. I mean, the the world of psychology and being able to understand different sorts of neurodivergencies and mental health disorders is, is still so young. And yeah. being able to even talk about it, you know, around the dinner table with your family, be open about what's, what's happening to you internally it's not something that human beings have always been super comfortable with. And with this sort of technology, it seems like he's changing, not necessarily, not necessarily just him, but this sort of technology is changing that landscape. It's changing what conversation looks like. Yeah. Making people almost more confident in, in the conversation. Almost takes away some of the stigma, Mm -hmm. some of the shame that surrounds the conversation about it. A lot of people are still, embarrassed to talk about their feelings their emotions yeah you know it's not it's it's still it requires such vulnerability to be able to talk about your emotions and uh being actors we that that's our job that's those are the walls that you know if you if you have those barriers up you're not going to be able to dig into a character you're not going to be able to do your job that is our job and it's such a weird job speaking of that do you think, as an actor, that, like, our brain waves would change if we were to do a test like this or even, like, a lie detector test? You know, like, how, like, a lie detector tells if you're lying. But as an actor, if you're playing a different character, do you think the lie detector test would know? Or, like, these this, like, um, test, this digital technology nowadays would know the difference? Or if, like, maybe we're changing our own brain waves? Yeah, like, would we be able to fool a lie detector test? Would we? <laughs> Is that a measure for how how great of an actor you are? I know. Like, I even want to find someone with a lie detector test now and figure this out. I <laughs> or is that against the law? I don't, know, I don't know how expensive this technology is, but if there's some sort of way where we'd be able to go in and, and get a brain reading, a brain pattern reading of you know what Tanya's brain looks like, what Kaylee's brain looks like, and then mm-hmm. get into a character and and try to take this test again or have this brain mapping again in character. Would the squiggles look different? Would you would you be able to play a man? Would your brain look like a man's brain? Like, are you able to I get wonder. the neurons to I like fire that in the idea. same way to play a male character? Or Ooh. that's also something that I'm curious about. I know he talks about you know the mapping of how we're psychologically wired does mm-hmm. look different for a man versus a woman, but. I'm assuming that that sits, like, on a spectrum, you know, yeah. if, if the male-centric brain wiring sits on one end of the, the spectrum and then the female uh, patterns are on the opposite end, maybe we all kind of sit somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah, or, like, you know, those cases where, like, people feel like they're a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body, do you think their brain would be different? You know, yeah. like, say, I feel like a man, yeah, like, but I'm where a woman. Would they... Where would they stand on that spectrum? Yeah. Of, like, that'd be interesting, too. So many things. How do we get access hey, to Bruno. these files? <laughs> I just want to buy my own lie detector. <laughs> so that, like, that's my new character technique. You're just on, on like, stage. You're like, all right, so, today yeah. I'm a man. <laughs> I don't care. You, sorry, Glenn Sumi, you didn't review me well? Well... Take a look at my lie detector test. I pulled off this Shakespearean... Ca- like, what is this accent I'm doing right now? <laughs> was, I don't know. That's not it? fooling anybody. <laughs> also, yeah, lying. Yeah. <laughs> don't know where Graham Sumi came from. <laughs> um, he also talks about shock therapy, which was kind of... Uh, yeah, it, it, I'm not going to lie. He, as soon as he mentioned it, I'm like, oh my god, that's still a thing? I actually didn't realize that we still use electroconvulsive therapy. I don't know yeah. why my brain immediately goes to Clockwork Orange and all I can see is Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like, to me, it's not, it's very fictional still. It's something yeah. that, yeah, sure, it was really big in the 50s, but I I think I have that inherent fear. Uh, my only experience being from a very narrative, fictional world. <laughs> the idea of shock therapy is... Would that even alter our... Well, I'm assuming it alters our brain. I'm assuming it gives us a different sort of reading with this technology. Like, would our yeah. brain patterns be different? And how how much control 
are we going to see with this sort of technology in the future? Are we going to be able to say, I want specifically that brain pattern? Or if, and I, this is this is a giant leap, but you know, going back to the idea of of having thinking that you're a man trapped in a woman's body or mm-hmm. a woman mm-hmm. trapped in a man's body, you know, on spectrum yeah if you wanted your brain to sit on a different point in that spectrum on that scale are you going to be able to pick and choose like can we tailor in the, uh, obviously i don't think we're there yet but are we moving towards an ability to be able to pick and choose where we want to sit on that spectrum and what our brain actually looks like like are we going to be able to go into a shop the same way we do with a tattoo parlor and say that one on the wall that's what i, want my brain I to feel look like, like it could totally get to that point um i googled this isn't for the elect electronic compulsive therapy but the magnetic stimulation mm-hmm. i googled that and i was like what is magnetic stimulation and it it was just like this minute and a half um video not not too scientifically it just explained what this magnetic stimulation was doing for this lady and she's been doing it i can't remember it was either four weeks or four months now but like how it's changed four weeks it's how it's changed her life like how she's able to have conversations with people she doesn't have negative thoughts anymore and things like that so i think at least in a positive way it will definitely trigger different neurons in the brain to allow you to have more freedom in life or change the way you think on certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to realize how much the chemicals in our brain actually explain the way that we feel. Yeah. Things that we aren't normally able to, to quantify or to see what they look like. Yeah. We're, we're being able to now take a look at that and say, e- even just like, th- let's link this video. I'll, I'll put a, yeah. cause that was a really cool video that you showed me. Uh, I'll put a link to what Tanya's talking about is transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS treatment. And you actually get to watch a woman have this treatment done on her. And she talks about what it's been doing for her over the past four weeks. Mm-hmm. So we'll put a link to that so people can see what that looks like as well. Cause I had no idea what that looked like. Yeah. It sounded scary, but <laughs> <laughs> well, anything that we don't understand is scary, right? So yeah. it's cool to do this sort of research and to also realize that we're still doing things like shock therapy and that it has benefits for people who are dealing with different conditions. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think it's awesome that way, because for someone like me who doesn't want to be taking prescription drugs all the time, to, to have that choice to mm-hmm. try something new like this would highly benefit me. I'd much prefer to do that than be taking these random drugs that are from a doctor's office that I know absolutely nothing about, that I can't even like, pronounce half the things that are in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Bruno talks about this as an option that you get to go in and do sometimes as opposed to having a pill every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are options. Yeah. Lots of options out there. All right, well, on that note, let's hop into the interview. Uh, my name is Bruno Maruzzo. I'm the CEO of Digital Medical Experts. Uh, it's a startup company that started uh, at uh, McMaster University and St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. And it was uh, founded by four individuals, two uh, psychiatrists and two engineers from, uh, from uh, McMaster. And they developed an approach that uses uh, EEGs, or electroencephalograms, to uh, help physicians diagnose patients with mental illness and then pick the best treatment for them. And I was introduced to the company a, a number of years ago by a mutual friend. Um, the founders of the company realized they needed someone with some business expertise, some startup expertise. So uh, I've joined them and helped them organize their company and, and currently I'm in the process of trying to raise some money for them. Okay, so your background is in business? Uh, it, business, engineering, uh, biotechnology, and healthcare. I've worked for a number of different companies in the healthcare space. I've also worked in the venture capital field, so I'm quite familiar with what investors are looking for and um, sort of the, the pitfalls of uh, an early stage uh, healthcare technology company. So they're lucky to have you aboard. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope they think so, yeah. Why did you decide to join this venture? Uh, one of my previous companies, I did a bit of work in the mental health space. Uh, we were looking at uh, genetic markers for schizophrenia. Uh, and um, 
once we put out a, after we put out a press release, there were a lot of uh, calls that we got from, from families, uh, from individuals, uh, from doctors, uh, basically talking about the, the, the problems that the patients face, the families face, uh, the doctors really don't have any tools to help them or very limited tools to help them. So it, it certainly raised my awareness of mental health uh, issues out there and the fact that doctors really don't have a lot of tools to help them. Uh, families and patients are at a loss. You know, they, it, It's a very difficult condition for a lot of these families. So I, I became aware of that space and then when I came across digital medical experts, um, I, I knew the potential, I knew the issues. Um, there are a lot of people who are affected by mental illness, either directly or indirectly, and there currently aren't many good tools to help physicians make the diagnosis and then help treat those patients. Well, especially with the fact that uh, social sciences and psychology and even conversations <coughs> about mental health, I find that they're very young. We're still mm -hmm. in early stages of even understanding how to speak about them. So it's, it's interesting to then move on to <coughs> create technology that will serve some sort of aid for mm -hmm. it. Um, if you can tell me a little bit about this technology, can you explain to me exactly how it goes about helping doctors diagnose and find treatments for these mental illnesses? Okay. Um, just to, to um, go back a bit to tell you how the technology was developed, um, the, the founders took EEGs from patients with a known condition and a known response to a specific treatment. And then they used big data and machine learning techniques to analyze all of these EEGs from a large number of patients to see if there were any features that they could find in the EEG that were diagnostic in nature so that you could look at a new EEG, pull out these features and say this person has this condition and then also identify features that were predictive of treatment response. So they were able to do that. So now we have a database that we're adding to that has um, features that are diagnostic of a number of conditions. So we've looked at depression, uh, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. And then we've looked at a number of different treatments, uh, a number of drugs, and a number of non-drug treatments. Um, transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, electroconvulsive therapy, and uh, psychotherapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. So now we can take an EEG from a patient, um, put it into our software program, it will extract features from it, compare it to our database, and from that uh, we are able to make a diagnosis, or at least a tentative diagnosis of the condition and then also uh, identify which treatments would have the best success in that patients. So it's a very simple process. Uh, the business model um, is very simple. Uh, an individual would see their doctor. Uh, the doctor would decide that this person may have a mental illness. They would write a requisition for the patient. They would take that to a medical lab, either a standalone lab or something within a hospital, um, and have an EEG done. The data would be sent to us, we would analyze the data, and then uh, produce a report which would be, would be sent back to the lab or to the doctor. So it's very simple, it's like any other medical diagnostic test, you, you go to your doctor, it gives you a requisition, you go to a lab, they draw your blood, it's sent off for analysis, and the report goes back to the doctor. So it's very similar to other, other tests. Okay, so it's done in conjunction with seeing an actual human being, an actual doctor. It's not just one person dealing with the technology themselves. Correct, Correct. And, and, and we don't make a diagnosis. I mean, the doctor, in the end, is the one who makes the, di the final diagnosis, and he is the one who selects the treatment. Uh, you know, we, we make a recommendation, we give them an indication of what the, uh, the condition is, and then it's up to them to use their experience and perhaps other other tests, uh, usually questionnaires and observation of the patient to, to make the final determination. Okay. Why did you choose those three different mental illnesses to focus, us on, focus on at the beginning and uh, why these particular 
methods of, of dealing with them? Because I'm assuming that there are other treatments that you could be exploring or offering as opportunities to heal these mental illnesses. Um, don't really know why they looked at, at those three. I mean, they're, they're probably the three biggest one. Uh, depression, obviously, is the largest uh, uh, incidence. It affects anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of the population. Uh, bipolar disorder is about one and a half to two percent of the population, and schizophrenia is about one percent. Um, so, I don't know if those are the big three, but certainly depression is, is the biggest one. There are many other mental illnesses that are smaller populations. Um, but our focus initially is going to be in depression. Our first product will be in depression, uh, followed by probably bipolar disorder. Uh, in schizophrenia, we've um, the diagnosis isn't as critical. We've, we've looked at a drug called clozapine, which is very effective in, in schizophrenics. However, it's very toxic, so you don't want to give it to someone if, if it's not going to work. So we can uh, take an EEG from a patient and from that determine whether clozapine would, would be useful in that patient or not. So. Um, it's not so much the diagnosis, because schizophrenics are relatively easy to diagnose, uh, although in the early stages it is difficult. Um, but depression is, is the number one uh, indication that we're going after. And is that something that's just as easy to diagnose with this technology? Yes. Yeah, it's um, basically take the EEG. And, um, in our pilot studies, we've shown that we can diagnose uh, depression actually and, and bipolar disorder with about a 95% concordance with trained psychiatrists. So we had two trained psychiatrists, psychiatrists make the diagnosis and then we ran our system and compared it to their results and we were 95% uh, concordant with their results. Wow. So what does that actually look like when you're looking at an EEG of someone who has depression Visually, what are we looking at? Uh, the, 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 that's, that's the key. I mean, if, if it was that easy, uh, people would do it. I mean, we, if, if you look at an EEG, there's, there's 25 or 28 or 23, depending on how many electrodes, squiggles on a piece of paper, and it runs for you know, continuously for a period of time. Uh, and it goes up and down. There's noise in there. It, very difficult for a human to, to look at it and say, aha. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to look at it and say, oh, okay, I see what's happening yeah, here. <laughs> no, no one can, and that's why we had to use machine learning and big data techniques to analyze uh, hundreds of EEGs to find features that uh, we could extract or parameters that we could extract that would be diagnostic in nature. So when we get an EEG, we extract features from certain uh, areas of, of the brain or certain electrodes and then compare it to our database. So it's it's not something you can look at visually. Okay. It's a computer that then gives you the response Correct. after it's done all the looking. That's right. Great. Yeah. And just to go into, I guess, a little bit more detail as far as these treatments go, how it sounds like they differ from one another drastically, one being very focused on drugs that you're putting into mm -hmm. your body, and then on the other end of the spectrum, cognitive behavioral therapy, <coughs> which is spend it, it consists of a lot of time spending one on one, I'm assuming, with an, a therapist, a psychotherapist, or potentially groups of people. It, it's it's one on one, I don't know if they do groups, but it's it's not that much time, it's it's essentially 12 one hour sessions over a period of weeks. So it's, it's not a lot of time, it basically helps you deal with situations, um, tries to train you how to respond to certain situations, how to deal with your feelings. And for some people it works, and they much prefer that than taking drugs for an extended period of time. Um, the other two therapies, uh, magnetic stimulation and, and electroconvulsive therapy, you, you get a treatment um, one or two times and then you're good for a long period of time. If you're chronically depressed then you'd have to repeat the treatments. If it's an acute situation as a result of a death or a marriage breakup or an illness, um, you may only need one treatment or a couple of treatments and then you're, you know, you'll, you'll be fine down the road. So rather than taking drugs. And what exactly does electroconvulsive therapy that, that's entail? A, that's a nice euphemism for shock therapy. Uh, right. Basically, um, 
you're, you're put on a table, you're given a muscle relaxant, and then uh, your, your brain is, is shocked with uh, uh, electricity. And people don't really understand how it works or why it works, but it, it does work. Um, used to be fairly popular back in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Not well understood, and, and uh, now it's a little better understood on, on uh, how to apply it and where to apply it and how often to apply it. But it, it does work in, in certain people. Um, probably not the thing you want to undergo if it's not going to work. So we can tell in advance uh, with an, uh, about an 85% accuracy as to whether it's going to work or not. Depending on what the EEG results Correct. look like? Yeah. And what are the risks associated with that sort of therapy? Uh, I mean, medically, there aren't any any risks. I mean, there's always risk with a procedure, but you know, they really aren't significant. Um, because I know very little about it, but mm-hmm. I have to admit, when I hear shock therapy, yeah. I get scared of the yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like uh, I, I don't know if you've seen any of these muscle uh, strengthening electro. Um, electric muscle stimulating devices for, you know, decreasing your abdomen. Um, I've, I've seen ads like that, and it makes me think of shock collars that yeah. my mother once bought when we had dogs <laughs> to, to train them to stop barking, and she used it once on herself just to test it, and she put it up to the highest setting, scared the yeah. the yeah. life out of her, and she yeah. refused to put it on her dogs. Yeah. Yeah. No, certainly there's a sensation, and that's why the patient, uh, when they do ECT, is, is has a muscle relaxant, and uh, so it gets... So it doesn't necessarily hurt? No. Okay. No. no. And, and magnetic stimulation is uh, similar. It uses a high-power magnetic field that's focused on a part of the brain, and um, it... it Again, it affects the electrical impulses in the brain and changes how the brain is working in that area. And in some situations, is effective at treating uh, depression or schizophrenia or, or bipolar disorder. Uh, people have been using it recently in treating uh, um, personnel with uh, PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and have had uh, reasonable success with that. I actually just heard a clip on an NPR podcast uh, talking about the association between concussions and PTSD, and I had no idea that there was a correlation between the two, not just a correlation, but a cause and effect relationship. So it's interesting to know that these sorts of physical um, attributions to your brain are, are linked in such a a strong way to mm-hmm. mental health disorders. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you, if you look at uh, uh, you know football players, there's been a lot of uh, news in, in the last number of years about uh, concussions and the effect on, on these players, and um, some of them, even hockey players. I mean, some of them, you know, they concussed a number of times. Uh, sometimes they're treated, sometimes they're not, and. and uh, yeah. After either during their playing career or after they have all these symptoms, uh, some have mental illness. Uh, a number of them commit suicide be- again because of uh, uh, you know their brain is just uh, so screwed up that that uh, that's their only out. So yeah, no, concussions, other types of brain injury can certainly uh, lead to a mental disorder of some sort. Do you know anybody personally who has gone through this sort of therapy, and do you know how it's actually affected them down the road afterwards? Which kind of therapy? Shock therapy. Uh, no, not shock therapy. I've, I've known people who've had uh, magnetic uh, stimulation, and, and it's worked for them. Um, some people it hasn't worked. Uh, but one of the founders, Gary Hasey, Dr. Hasey, who's in charge of the Mood Disorders Clinic uh, at St. Joseph's Hospital, uses both ECT and TMS uh, to treat patients and, and again with uh, good results in some and, and not uh, you know no results in others so it's it's um, um, depends on the patient depends on um, how their disease was started um, there are a lot of factors and you know because Gary's a psychiatrist he sees a lot of the difficult cases sometimes people with multiple issues. Um, we see our test being used 
by a GP to essentially make the initial diagnosis, try a treatment, and um, in a lot of cases that will be sufficient. So they'll, they'll handle the easy cases, and then the more difficult cases can be referred on to a psychiatrist. In Ontario, the wait time to see a, a psychiatrist is anywhere from six to nine months, uh, and that's in a, in a big center. In a smaller center, you have to travel and, and, and perhaps wait longer. So if a, a GP can handle these cases and provide effective diagnosis and effective treatment, that will help the healthcare system and, and help those patients who have you know, difficult uh, scenarios. How long has Gary been working with this technology? Is he one of the founders? He's one of the founders. Uh, they started uh, about eight years ago. They came up with the idea and uh, with the advent of, of uh, advanced computing power and big data and machine learning techniques, they were able to analyze you know, large amounts of data and extract um, the information from the EEGs. And is that something that we're seeing in other parts of our country, or is this something that's new and specific to positions here in Toronto? Uh, this is this is relatively new, um, certainly in 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 the Ontario area. Um, other researchers are looking at EEGs as a way of, of making diagnosis or making treatment selection, but they're they're just starting. Um, you know, Diamius uh, has uh, spent you know eight years, eight plus years doing this, so we were fairly advanced. Uh, our technology is patented in the U.S. and Australia, and we have other patents pending. Uh, so, you know, we feel that we're, we're the leaders in the space at the moment, but uh, like everything, if, if it looks like it's going to work, other people will try to get into the market. But, but that's fine. I mean, the, the, the number of patients out there is, is huge, and in Canada alone, if you look at depression, anywhere from, from three to six million people are affected by depression every year. So that's a lot of, a lot of people. Absolutely. I, I'd say it's nice to have so many people working on new ways to talk about it and to, to deal with it. Yeah. How have you seen, I guess, from when you started working in mental health sectors up until now, how have you seen the conversation about mental health change over the years, if at all? Well, well, certainly it, it's it's in the public eye right now. It's um, people are talking about it. It used to be that people didn't talk about it. It was sort of something you, you didn't talk about in public. Um, you know, you got the crazy uncle that sort of doesn't show up at functions because he's a little off, um, or somebody committed suicide. Nobody wanted to talk about it. But it, it's it's becoming uh, more common to talk about it. A lot of companies are talking about it. I mean, Bell Canada certainly is, is one of the leaders in, in the raising mental health awareness. Partly from a, from a, I guess, a corporate standpoint, they spend a lot of money in dealing with employees that have mental health issues. Um, their their uh, insurance costs, health, health, health insurance costs um, related to mental health are you know, a huge proportion of the costs. Uh, so they're, they're trying to raise the awareness. They've actually gone to the point where they've trained all of their middle managers on how to recognize employees with mental health issues and how to deal with them and refer them on either to the employee assistance program or to a physician, a staff physician, rather than, you know, what they used to do in the old days is give them a kick in the butt and say get back to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were a number of ads that were run, I think, by the Ministry of Health of the Ontario government, which basically looked at people's uh, attitude towards individuals with mental health. And, and you know, the people didn't understand it. I mean, you, you can't see mental uh, mental illness. There's no physical attribute. Um, you can't so, put a cast on it to heal it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there was, the, you know, a fair stigma to it. People didn't believe it existed. It was all in your head, which is true. It is that's what <laughs> in your brain. Um, but we think our our test will help remove some of that stigma because we'll have an objective test that uh, a person can say, "I went to the lab. They ran the test. Here are the results. I have depression." 
versus, you know, I talk to this guy and he says, I, he thinks I have depression. Well, yeah, maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. Uh, but when you've got a, a piece of paper that's been run through a lab, it's no different than going for a blood test and it says, you know, I've got, I've got uh, uh, you know, high triglycerides. You know, here's the lab test that shows it. I mean, I can't see triglycerides in your blood, but there's a lab test that, that shows it. So that, that should help. Um, you know, doctors will then have an objective measure. Isn't that interesting that mm -hmm. we place almost more trust in technology giving us the results mm -hmm. than we do in sitting down with a human just telling, giving us their expert opinion? Yeah. And, and the thing is, with, with you know, doctors can tell you know, by observation on people's moods and, and sort of how they, they act as to maybe how they're feeling, but you know, a lot of people don't like talking about themselves or talking about issues and you know, when they're filling out questionnaires sometimes they lie on it or they don't understand the question, especially if it's related to a job or you're in a position you don't want your employer to know that you're depressed or bipolar, so you might lie on that, so it, it's, it's not, uh, not always 100% accurate, so with this you know, the, the patient uh, really can't do anything to affect it. And the other nice thing about it is it's, it's very simple. I mean, a lot of people don't want to go to the doctor and spend half an hour over, you know, over a number of uh, days talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, this way you go into the lab, you get the test done, the results come back, you don't have to spill your guts to somebody. It's less agonizing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be part of uh, an annual checkup, uh, especially for people in high-stress situations, uh, airline pilots, uh, uh, EMS workers, the military. Uh, so, it's, um, hopefully it will be uh, a regular test that will be available to people uh, who should be tested on an on a ongoing basis. Well, I like to hear that. My whole family is in the airline industry. And, well, I used to be a flight attendant. My father is ex-military, mm -hmm. now a uh, commercial airline pilot. My mother is a flight attendant, so yeah. everybody yeah. lives in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that, that actually talked about that, that uh, airline pilots should be tested every regularly to make sure that they're not suffering from any mental illness. Uh, you know, there was a case in Germany where the pilot was depressed and he crashed the plane. Um, I'm sure there are other situations where pilots are going through something, whether it's short-term depression or have a, another mental illness that developed that goes unnoticed until something tragic happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not the current situation where having a mental health checkup is part of your, your annual regular checkup with your physician. It's not... No, it's, it's a, I mean, the doc will say, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel fine. That's it. And most guys will it say... It checks off a box. Oh, you know, most, most, most men will say, I feel fine. There's another article that came out recently on how men and women are very different when it comes to, to mental health and health. Most speaking men, about it or speaking about it or dealing with it I mean most men will tough it out you know they'll say you know they'll kick themselves in the pants and say get over it when you can't I mean the, the brain is the brain is like any other organ in the body it's like your heart or your lungs and, and uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't work properly and you have to attend to it and that comes with also the social norms we've constructed when it comes to between gender bias mm -hmm. So yeah. it has to do with so many different areas of conversation yeah. that uh, are folded into the mix. So one of the interesting things is, is uh, you know, if you look at an EEG from a woman and an EEG from a man, both normal, in quotes, um, <laughs> you can actually tell the difference between male and female from their EEG patterns. So women's brains and men's brains work a little differently. Wow. Wow, that is so fascinating. So is that something that you could actually just see the the squiggles on a piece of paper no. that look different, yep, yep, or is it yep, again? You have to do the analysis. It's, it's up to the technology yeah, to say that yeah, they look different. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, I mean, it's it's true that there are biological differences, physical differences between men and women, and yet we still try to shift a lot of our conversation into understanding us as one, understanding us as the same. Right. So it's important to note those differences while still doing it on, I guess you could say, a politically correct level. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Do you deal with any of those sorts of um, conversations as drawbacks or hindrances to the development of your technology? Uh, no. no. Doesn't affect it? No. No. No, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, I guess the only thing that we would like to do going forward is, is you know, the initial work was done on mixed populations. Uh, if we looked at you know gender-based populations, then we can see if there's uh, any differences there that we can take advantage of to help make the accuracy of the test better. But currently, there's one test for a human being, not different right. tests for one for male, one right. for right. human. Right. Okay. Yeah. And actually, the FDA in the, in the U.S. Um, a number of years ago basically uh, asked companies to include. Um, an equal number of men and women in their clinical trials because they used to just take people as they came. But obviously, if it's a female-oriented disease or a male-oriented disease, they're not going to have the opposite sex in there. But for, for diseases that affect males and females, they, they didn't really look at the differences between how males and females react to the drug. So their you know, companies, pharmaceutical companies, are going to be spending more time looking at that because you're right, I mean, you know, we're different. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we react differently to certain things, and, and uh, therefore the, the treatment should be potentially different. How accessible is this treatment? Is it something that is provided to anybody and everybody? Is it expensive? Which, which treatment? Uh, the three different treatments, I guess you could say, are, are there ways of getting it through through your physician? Is it something that's going to be... Right now our, our product's not available on the market. Okay. Uh, hopefully, um, once we get this round, funding round completed, um, we should be able to have something, hopefully by next year, late next year sometime, available. Um, and that, that would be available through um, either a, a diagnostic lab, which we were talking to a couple of labs to, that would offer the test, and then it's up to us to uh, uh, educate the physicians that this is available and that uh, they just need to write a requisition and send it to the lab and the patient can get the test. Okay. In terms of treatment, that's up to the physician as to uh, um, you know, what they want to prescribe. We'll give them a, a either one or a number of, of uh, treatments that we think would work in that patient and then the physician will decide how best to treat that patient. Right. Okay. So it's it's the recommendation I mean, people, then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people like you, I don't want shock therapy. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna work, but the yeah, client just the, the thought just the thought you know bugs me. The patient has to agree to it. Right. I guess you can't force a certain treatment on anybody either. Right. Right. So so uh, you know we make the you know we identify treatments that we think will work, and then it's up to the physician and the patient to decide what they want to do. So then, is your technology just in a trial and error basis right now? If it's not on the market yet, or well, are you saying it's not? We're, on the we're still doing some uh, uh, studies. We're doing a, a larger scale study on, on depression to add more treatments into the database. Um, so then, once that's completed, we'll have the top five drugs that are used to treat depression in the database and uh, two non-drug uh, therapies: uh, TMS and, and CBT. So then we can uh, take your EEG and, and then uh, make a diagnosis and then recommend one of those seven treatments. And then as we go along, we'll be adding more drugs and other treatments, uh, non-drug treatments, to the database. As new drugs come on, we can add those to the database as well. Will you also be adding other mental illnesses to the yeah, study? Probably bipolar disorder would be our next indication because that's another very difficult condition for GPs to diagnose or can be and also very uh, difficult condition for patients and their families. I mean, I've had a number of family members, in fact I was at a conference yesterday, I had a person come to me and, and they were telling me the stories of uh, uh, one of the family members who they suspected of being bipolar, hadn't been diagnosed uh, and uh, just causing total chaos in, in the family. Uh, you know, that's not a unique situation. Hmm. I guess there are, again, it comes back to that conversation that historically we would say, you know, keep it together, stop acting out, or yeah. even the snap way that we out yeah. snap out of it, yeah. the way that we tell 
even toddlers who are throwing tantrums in a shoe store instead of validating whatever feelings the child's trying to express, yeah. we try to repress or suppress them and then just remove them from the situation, yeah. teaching them almost that the, the feelings and emotions are are less important or less valid than others being able to purchase shoes in yeah. the shoe yeah. store. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> Looks like this technology is going to make a huge shift. It's it's interesting. We, we hope so. Yeah. Now, like hopefully it. we can we can uh, get funded and move on and, and get this product on the market to help people. Um, you know, it's a, it's a huge problem uh, around the world. Uh, you know, it affects everybody. Uh, doesn't matter which country, what race, what sex. Depression is is a huge problem and. It's, it costs the economy hundreds of billions of dollars around the world every year. Um, our judicial system is clogged up because of people with mental illness going through the system. Our jails are full of people who have mental illness, shouldn't be in jail, they should be treated. So it's, 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 a, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Where can our audience members find more information about this if they, if they want to go online and learn more? Uh, they can go to our website, uh, www.digitalmdexperts.com. Great. And that'll be in the show's notes as well that you can find. Perfect. My contact information is there if anybody wants to get in touch with me or send us a note through the website. Oh, wonderful. That's great that they can contact you directly too. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me about it. It's absolutely fascinating, so I'm going to want to keep my eye on it and follow up, especially when when the projections of hitting the market come to fruition. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I've had, I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me the same question you asked, you know, where can I get this and when can I get tested? Well, I mean, not that you want to be tested, (laughs) uh, but a lot of people would want this, including physicians, because, again, they're at a loss. I mean, they really don't have any tools to help them, or very limited tools to help them deal with these patients. Mm-hmm. And treatment selection right now is a trial and error process. Yep. And you know, it, it takes uh, many months to sometimes years and sometimes never to find an effective treatment. So people just get fed up and they stop going back and they self-medicate with alcohol or they just uh, are, are in a funk for, for years. Which leads to other other issues like addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Another another great conversation that I had with Katie actually yes, up at right, okay. Healthy Minds Canada. One thing I didn't mention. I mean, people have looked at um, other things to other treatments for uh, mental illness, which includes you know exercise, meditation, and and diet. Um, so we haven't looked at those. I mean, that's something we could do down the road: is take an EEG from an individual. Uh, and then have them do meditation or, or yoga or exercise or change their diet and see if that works for them. If it works, then we can um, look at the EEG, try to find parameters that would say exercise would help you with your depression. Wow. But those are longer-term studies, and you got to make sure that people actually do the exercise. So it, it, it's not, a long not, not straightforward, but right. um, you know, that's possible as well. The other, the other thing I didn't mention is that our, our technology can also, we think, can be used for uh, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia uh, or uh, uh, Parkinson's disease because a lot of those conditions are, are difficult to diagnose. Um, some of them do have treatments, um, others don't. Alzheimer's really doesn't have a lot of good treatments. But down the road, we want to expand into um, into the neurological or neurodegenerative diseases. And is there some sort of projected timeline that your no. company has? No, not yet. No, no. It's, They're just on the list. It's pie in the sky. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's on the list of things to do. Um, you know, we need to, to do the psychiatric conditions that uh, we've identified. The, the big three. There might be some other psychiatric conditions that uh, we could look at. Uh, I know. Um, ADD and ADHD are, are again, you know, almost like mental illness. They're very topical. Uh, there are a lot of adults out there with ADD or ADHD um, and either have never been diagnosed uh, or have been misdiagnosed. So, you know, that might be an area that we could look at as well. 
Oh, so this is a technology that can potentially be applicable for many other areas. Yeah, anything that affects how your brain functions, uh, we think what we can actually detect. And uh, if there's a treatment, we can probably figure out which, you know, whether that treatment will work in a specific individual or not. It's uh, an interesting area, the psychosomatic connections. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Are there any other final remarks or notes or topics that you wanted to cover? No, I think that's it. Okay. I covered them all. Great. Well, I am so glad that you sat down with me. It's so fascinating. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on that. And any other, if you have like newsletters or any other information that you do send out, okay. uh, keep me in mind. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll send you some of the articles that I referred to. There's a whole bunch that have come out in the last couple of years and uh, just identifying the enormity of the problem and, and specific areas where it's, it's a real problem. Yeah, I, w- I would love to read more about it. Okay. I've been chatting with my sister about some of the work I've been doing too. I mean, she, we don't get to talk all that often because she's over in Europe, but uh, she does stem cell research um, and was working with the Heart and Stroke Foundation when she first moved over there. Um, on top of being the French-English liaison between the research center and the university she was working at, she's she's got a lot on her plate, but so I've been able to poke her for a couple of questions and learn a little bit about the scientific side. Um, I'd say I, I sit on the social activism side, and so I try to use up all my resources whenever I can. So yes, please keep me in mind when you have any of that kind of information okay. to send along to. Yeah, yeah no, that's another fascinating area with uh, what's going on in that, in that field. Yeah. I'm obsessed right now with CRISPR, mm-hmm. the uh, yeah. DNA-altering devices. It's... It, mind-blowing it has me writing a new script about a series it's the the world of science is so fascinating to me but in in such a storytelling I mean you can see I carry around Robert McKee with me everywhere Mm -hmm. in such a storytelling kind of way it's it's I find an exciting and fascinating way to convey these sorts of happenings in our world you take the born identity series and and people learning about these sorts of DNA alterations that are actually possible and learning that it's a, it's a real thing and it's it's not just fairy tale that we're sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. No, there's a, there was something in the news this week or last week about a guy in Sweden who's going to use CRISPR to edit some embryo mm-hmm. DNA and uh, there's a lot of uh, controversy discussion about it, yeah. Yeah, well because once we are able to altered DNAs, then you have the whole conversation of ethics behind it to mm-hmm. figure out whether or not we're just trying to play God or <laughs> what it looks like down the road once we do start changing our babies before they arrive. Oh, that's what they did in the brave new world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Think sure. of an Orwellian future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, very cool. Thank you again so much for sitting with oh, me. You're welcome. And welcome back. We are back in the We're Totally Not Okay studio, a.k.a. Kaylee's little downtown apartment that you can hear all the noises outside of. <laughs> Welcome to Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? I think so. It's Tuesday. It's funny how I never know what day of the week it is anymore. Never. I don't remember the last time I had, like, a weekend. That's a lie. I took a day off this past weekend, which was too much fun. I got to go listen to jazz, and I... Did a brunch with a friend, and oh, it was brunch. Yeah, I don't remember the last time that I just like I put my phone away. I put the technology in my purse. Good. I set it away. I got to hang out with a bunch of new people I'd never met before. Like just real face to face time with humans. I feel like we don't do enough of that in this world today. In this we world really of social don't. media, especially. Um, and speaking of. Segway yep. man. Dun, 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 dun. Shout to John August on that moment. Um, <laughs> our one cool thing for this episode is something actually that I'm involved with. I do content writing for a startup called Emoji Health. And what this bot does, it's a chat bot. Essentially, what it does is it curates all of the medical information readily available online for teenagers dealing with different sorts of neurodivergencies or mental health conditions Mm -hmm. because what's cool is it it was started 
funnily enough, it was started by a gentleman who has a background in advertising and he moved out of the ad world and into the world of health sciences. He became a general practitioner for about five years, I believe, and he became increasingly frustrated with the fact that there is so much medical information readily available online, but that these kids, because for the most part, the target demographic for Emoji Health is teenagers. Right. These teens who have neurodivergencies and mental illnesses don't know how to go out and find all of this information, figure out which pieces online are actually credible, what's going to help them specifically with whatever condition they're dealing with. So this is something that it's not meant to replace a therapist or replace a general practitioner or replace any kind of physician for them, but it's meant to be used in conjunction with going to see your general practitioner going to whatever treatment you are in, your cognitive behavioral therapy, any kind of psychotherapy mm-hmm. that uh, your therapist provides for you, as well as maybe the medication that you're put on. It's supplemental. Yeah. I think it came out of a understanding, a realizing that what we were doing still isn't enough. Yeah. used to be, I guess, um, I can't remember, about like three years ago or so, the suggested treatment would be put you on medication if you have depression for about a year you're also going to see a therapist for about a year and then afterwards you're taken off go ahead go live your life you're fixed in a general sense uh, in layman's terms then we move to you know we need extended periods of time for you on medication we need more time with you and your therapist together and going to see your general practitioner Um, and now we're understanding it's still not enough these sort of neurodivergencies, these sort of mental illnesses like depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, these are things that you will deal with if you're diagnosed with them. If if you have depression, you are dealing with depression for the rest of your life. I'm not talking about like a seasonal depression or if you have a death in the family, if you have a specific instance that triggers. Yeah. You know, this is something that you, if you have clinical depression, you are living with that for the rest of your life. There's so much re- research being put out that is changing from it on a day-to-day basis. How do you keep up as a kid dealing with this when you're also just trying to figure out what this thing is yeah. that you have? Yeah, yeah. so um, super cool. What I like about Emoji Health is that they're, they're bridging that gap between digital technology and mental health, uh, which is very similar to what Bruno does with his technology. Well, yeah, and I mean with social media being such a double-edged sword. I mean, you have the negative and the positive aspects of it. It's just awesome that Emoji Health is finding that that gap and bridging them because the younger generation solely they that is their life is social media, you know, like we are consumed with it. Consumed with it. So I mean, with the direction it's going, it's just it's great that they're using this platform to get to the younger generation who aren't as open about talking about their feelings and they don't know where to look and they don't want to be Wikipediaing their issues because everyone is telling you, well, the internet is always going to tell you you're dying. So you don't want to be, <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with me? You're dying. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's good to have like these medical people who are on board and want to reach out to the younger generations. And I think it's beautiful what Emoji Health is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People who are very aware of how we're using technology today and, and especially with uh, Dr. John, who is behind Emoji Health, having that background in advertising, being aware of the structure of how psychology fits into the way we consume our social media and the way we consume our entire world, us as consumers. You know, for teens being the ultimate users of social media, this is their generation. This is These are people who are using their awareness of how teens communicate and using that as their in to be able to find a way to help them. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. On that, we're going to wrap up for our sixth, seventh episode. How many have we done? We're still in season one. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. (laughs) But that's okay. It is. As (laughs) always... Subscribe to us on iTunes. And Twitter. Do you subscribe on Twitter? And Instagram. And, and then Facebook. You like us. Like it. Oh, God. With social a big media. Blue thumbs up. Tells us how to like things and how to but follow But what if you want to love it? Can I love it? You know what? You can now love people's comments or in yeah. What group if chats. I want to love a page? Like, I love. We're totally not yeah. okay. Like, I don't just like it. Hey, 
Mark Zuckerberg. Love button for pages. Get on that. <laughs> we just changed social media, y'all. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.